Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grun. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God, and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church, to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended, and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple podcast Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Welcome, welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, as the announcement said, the red letter basics. That's all that matters, what the Lord said. We're not here about knowledge, although you will get knowledge, knowledge of the Lord, knowledge of his word. But this is about him, focusing on him like the book of Acts Church did. And we're here to continue talking about his love, the power of love. We started part one last week, part two this week. I'm not sure... Um, how much longer to go on? I just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in that matter. But uh, we're glad that you're here. Firefall Network on YouTube. Go there. Subscribe to us. If you like what you see, click the like button. If you have any praise reports, prayer requests, or anything you want to share, let us know. We'll be posting videos as they get made. So we're going to go right into the community part of the porch. If you're not here for that and... I would understand it. Go to the second shofar, and then I'll take you right into the Bible study. But if you are, if you want to hear about others, praise and prayer, and maybe you want to send it in, go to the porch at firefalltalkradio.com. That's the email address. Or you can go to firefalltalkradio.com and write us. Or you could write us at one of the social media sites. We're on Facebook, and that's where a lot of people hook up together and share things. We start out by praising God, praising the Father, praising the Lord, um, acknowledging the Holy Spirit. All of that goes into setting things up for the Word. Never enter His presence without praising Him. So, of course, I always start with my salvation because without that, I'm not here. I don't know who is here, but I won't be. I was on a fast track to the lake of fire. But the Lord redeemed me, saved me. October 9th, 1988, that was my day to be born again. That's the day that my life began. That's the day that he gave me back the family I had discarded. That's the day that my relationship with him was sealed in his blood. And he called me into the family business immediately. And that's why I'm here today, because of him, because of that love. So I praise him for that. Excuse me, praise him for, of course, the home I'm sitting in, all the technology, everything we do here. I praise him for my wife, my sons, my um, daughter-in-laws, my grandson, the furry kids, everything that we have. It's all about family. We are a family. We're all family of God. I, I am thankful and praise him for the dreams and the visions and even the bad dreams. Even when the enemy shows up and tries to do stuff, I learned from it. The Lord doesn't allow anything unless it's meant to better us. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So don't get negative if the enemy gets in a shot or something happens. Look at it as an opportunity that the Lord has allowed for you to gain something from it. I praise him for his healing virtues, the supernatural faith that we have through the Holy Spirit, the divine health and healing that he gives us. Of course, we have to take care of ourselves and we have to do our part. 
and the right foods and exercise, but he gives us divine health and healing, and he gives us direction in his word. Praise him for the divine abiding favor. You notice I keep using the word divine. It all comes from him. All good things come from above. So I praise him for that, for the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the things he's been sharing, um, the prayer time I've been spending with him, being a new creation. If you don't acknowledge each and every day that you thank him for being a new creation and what he did for you, I'm suggesting you do so now. Ah, Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I pray for Israel. I pray for Jerusalem. I pray for his children. They are the apple of his eye. We are grafted into that vine. So I pray for them. pray for their leadership and their protection as we watch prophecy being fulfilled. Pray for America. We are in a prophetic timeline as well. And we are very active in that timeline. We're seeing things we don't like, but they go along with prophecy. Pray that God would forgive us, that he would shed his grace upon us. I pray for the people all around the world, whether they're brothers or sisters in the Lord or not, that are being victimized by the tyrannical governments. It went on in the day of Yeshua, and it's going on now. So we must not forget that, and we must not lose hope. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound and the oppressed, and those that are victims of injustice. That's my war cry every day. I stand with them. I pray for them. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. pray for missing and exploited children, the victims of human trafficking, sex trafficking, all the things that Hasatan and the fallen and their demonic offspring are doing to God's creation is wrong. Unequivocally wrong. And I stand with them and I stand against those that do it. Pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. Remember Open Doors USA? I I wear their little uh, bracelet and I... uh, Subscribe. I got the app. I get daily reports on who to pray for. It keeps me plugged in, keeps me active. There's a growing persecution out there. We're seeing it greater and greater in the Western world. It's already been there in the rest of the world. Anti-Semitism, anti-church, anti-everything of God. I pray against those things. I pray against the plans of the Antichrist, who I believe, and I think I'm going to talk about this soon, is waiting in the wings. He's manipulating circumstances to allow for his grand appearance. Right about now, I pray trips and falls as he goes to step out. Praying for divine wholeness, health, and healing as we get back to our divine design. We can't help the Lord. We can't do anything if we're unhealthy. That's just a fact. You are useless to him if you don't take care of yourself. I'm praying for those who are injured and sick right now. In the name of Yeshua, HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, be healed. In accordance with his word, in accordance with his will. Pray that you are divinely protected and inspired. And if you're a part of the remnant and you're here, you're awake. But I'm asking you to help other members of the remnant to wake up. You can do it through this uh, Bible study. You can do it through the Firefall Network YouTube. However it is, wake them up. We need people to pray. As SRT goes back out there at some point in the next couple of months, we're going to need aerial support and we may even need boots on the ground. We need the children of God that are called in this time and this moment to rise up and answer the call to action. Praying every day with my brother and Larry for the provision and the doors to open to go do everything we've been called to do to destroy the work of the enemy, to live out Luke 4.18, to shine the light, whether it's through the documentary or through Bible studies or just going and meeting people face to face, but doing what the Book of Acts Church did, being highly mobile and taking the fight directly to the enemy. So that means I'm praying for kingdom finances, for kingdom business. 
And then finally, I pray for our lost family members. We pray for them to come into the kingdom right here, right now, today, in the name of Yeshua. Uh, two other ones. I want to ask you, my friend Lewis, who I told you about a while ago, had a horrific accident on a beach in Hawaii. Well, because of that accident, certain things um, happened to his inter- internal organs, and he had to go in for emergency surgery, spent five hours on the table. He's home. He's recovering. He needs a miracle. He needs a miracle. We need this fund so that I can go out there with my brother Larry and pray with him, lay hands on him, and be able to freely come and go as the Spirit leads. Uh, Kate in Washington says, I thank God for my health, the health of my son. She says, thank you, Lord, for my home, my car, food, and his protection over it all. She's praising him for the jobs he has and prays for strength, praying for the... Okay, slow down. Got excited. She says, I praise God for this job, and I pray for his strength as she undertakes a massive job. She's taking a case to trial. So keep Kate in your prayers. And Kim in Fort Mitchell simply offered an unspoken prayer request, but I will tell you for Kim, her furry kid Bruno has gone over the rainbow bridge, and she's taking it very hard. So, Lord, we love you. We know how much you love Kim, that you're bathing your love upon her right now. All the people that are a part of this bush, you're going to help Kate in every step, in everything, each and every one of us. We just come to you now as your children saying, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, touch us, heal us, deliver us, fill us. We love you for what you've done. We love you for what you're doing. We love you for sending Yeshua to pay our debts so that we could be reconciled to you. Now, Lord, there aren't enough words to say how much I love you, how awesome you are. Oh, yeah, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are you are the Son of God. You are so many things, but most of all, you are our Lord and Savior. And we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you. We thank you for enduring the cross, the pain, the shame, shedding of a drop of blood. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to die, to guide us, to help us die to our flesh, to live out your life in our bodies, never forgetting everything you said, never forgetting what you did, and always walking with us no matter what. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Do whatever you want. Let the words that come out of my mouth be pleasing. Let them be anointed. Let the teaching do exactly what the Lord desires it to do. So so do whatever you want. Touch whatever you want. Inspire us. In Yeshua's name, if you agree with me, say amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about the power of love. Remember last week we mentioned how the Holy Spirit inspired and created the church, and that word inspire, one of the meanings is to breathe or blow into or upon, to infuse something such as life by breathing. When when Adam was created, and God breathed his spirit, his life into him, that's what that means. So in Acts chapter 2, we see it, but the Holy Spirit inspired the book of Acts church. It created it. It made it a living entity, a spiritual organism, a community of believers in Yeshua, connected by the Spirit in both growth 
and in action and fueled by love. Every effort of the Book of Acts Church was motivated and guided by the Holy Spirit. That's why many people believe the Book of Acts should have been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And right away, religious tradition and man-made corruption set in, and we know that comes from Hasatan and the Fallen, and the church, through the Holy Spirit, pushed back. We talked about in Acts chapter 5, and I need to bring this up again. That selfishness and deceit entered into the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira, which was the antithesis of what the Holy Spirit was doing. And he made an example to protect the newly formed church because their selfishness would have been a danger to the entire church. It would have been a cancer that would have spread quickly. And last week, as, as uh, during the session of the porch last week, the Lord was constantly speaking to me as I was speaking, and sometimes I would get it in. But as I was leaving, after I shut down all the equipment, after I was done, I, wa- I, was, I was walking out, he reminded me that the last recorded instance of him striking anyone dead was in the church with Ananias and Sapphira. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And then he said this very clearly, consider it a warning. The world can't be judged until he judges us first. He's coming for a spotless bride. And how do we do that? By fire, by the Holy Spirit, by conviction, by repentance, by talking about the things we talk about. The wholehearted devotion to the Lord by his new church was vital for their survival. And I dare say it's vital for our survival today. I believe a lot of the problems we have in the church is because we have pledged allegiance to men, to religious institutions, and everything but the Lord. Oh, we say it's about him. We put his name on it, but it really has nothing to do with him. It was the power of that love, his love for them and their love for him, that drove their efforts. That's what drives me. I'm passionate about the Lord. I don't want to talk about anything else. I don't want to hear about anything else. I don't need any more knowledge. Oh, I need knowledge of the Word. I need knowledge of Him. But I don't need any more worldly knowledge. I don't need any more theological knowledge. I don't need any more esoteric knowledge. That's what the Gnostics did. And they were a thorn in the side of the Book of Acts church. So there, we talked about last week four Greek words for love, which are used in the New Testament. The highest form of that love, which is attributed to God's love for us, is agape love. Unconditional, self-sacrificial. And it's a choice that he makes. It's very difficult for humans to have agape love. We can try. He helps us get close. It involves an act of will. We seek nothing in return, desiring the best for another. The other Greek word is philos, which is affectionate regard to a friend or family member. And that's where we get the, the term Philadelphia, brotherly love. Then we have philostorgos, which is devoted love shown to family. Um, it's being kindly affectionate. It means uh, the feelings we have for one another in God's family. And then the final type of love is eros, that's physical love, and it's not mentioned in the New Testament. It's not anything that should be a part of his church or his teachings. But we are called, as brothers and sisters, to give preference to one another. Now, I've always lived that way. I've always tried to give preference to members of the church, members of his family. Sometimes it's worked out. Many times it has, and it's it's bit me in the proverbial butt. But I've always done what was right before him, and my obedience is not my responsibility, it's his. But the greatest proof that the gospel is true, that the gospel message is true, is the reality of Yeshua's love 
between believers. 1 John 3.18, little children, believers like us, dear ones, let us not love merely in theory, with word or with tongue giving lip service to compassion, but in action and in truth, in practice and in sincerity, because practical acts of love are more than words. We can say we love someone, but do our actions show it? And that even means the Lord. We can say that we love the Lord, but do our actions show it? Biblical love has always been the Father's objective, motivator, and source. I believe that what he felt for Adam was the love of a father. He created Adam. He lovingly formed him out of the clay of the earth. Spoke the angels into existence. Spoke all creation into existence. They are the sons of God, the Beneha Elohim. But with Adam it was different. And I believe he loved him, which is why I believe when he fell, that separation because of Hasatan's manipulation. It didn't just hurt Adam and Eve, it hurt the Father. I believe sincerely that love is a byproduct of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We know that from Galatians chapter 5. And it's not directed towards the world, not the love I'm talking about, or the things of the world, which are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life mentioned in 1 John chapter 2. And all of those, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, are there to distract us away from our love for the Lord and our love for the Father. Once you set your eyes on something material of this world, you have changed your focus from God. And it may only start one degree off, but eventually it'll take you completely off base. In John 13, verse 34, the Lord said, I give you a new commandment. Red letter basics. He didn't say red letter basics. I'm saying that. That's not in the scripture. So it says, I give you a new commandment that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you too should love one another. Folks, I know it's not easy. And some people are just downright unlovable. And that without the presence of the Holy Spirit, your desire to fulfill his commandment, it's very difficult to do. But if you'll allow him to open your eyes and to soften your heart, you'll love those people the way he did. Now remember, like with the woman caught in adultery, he showed her compassion, he showed her grace, but he didn't excuse her sin. He told her, go and sin no more. That doesn't mean you look at somebody who's doing something wrong to you or to someone else and say it's okay. It's not okay. But you understand that they're under the control of another force, whether the besetting sin inside of them or an external supernatural influence. But the Lord said, just as I have loved you, sacrificial, willing to go to the end, willing to do whatever it takes to fulfill that love. That's the measurement. That's the measuring stick. And I will honestly tell you, I have fallen short probably as much as I've hit the mark. I've gotten better with it over time. When I first got saved, it was almost impossible for me. It's, it's an acquired ability. That love, the agape love of God, it's the essence of his nature. For God so loved the world that he gave. And you have people out there who say, well, if he loves the world that much, why did he destroy it? Why is he going to destroy it again? A loving God wouldn't do that. Uh, Time out. Time out. Yes, he would. Because he's already given you a way out. He's already given an option so that you don't suffer that. Love is the essence of his nature. It is the characterization of the relationship of God and humanity. 
It's a supernatural virtue. It is the character of God the Father within the Christian community, the believer's community, and he offers it to the world. He says, hey, I want to love you. I created you. All you have to do is one thing. Come to me through my son. And then once we do that, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit helps us to supersede our human nature. So this connection between love and God's character is reinforced by our focus. See, the more I've studied this, and and I've studied this and talked about this many times over the years, and I learn more each time. All the messages of love in the Bible start about loving him, and they're done supernaturally. So we should be like him. We should, as he was, so are we. People didn't run away from him unless they were uh, Pharisees and Sadducees in sin, in bondage and control of the fallen. But people that were rejected by man came running to him. Children came running to him. They knew that there would be no rejection, even if they'd never met him before. He, what's the word I'm looking for? Not reverberated. He, the love just shone out of him. It shone in his eyes. It shone in his smile. They could feel it on his voice. The woman at the well, everything he said could have been taken as condemnation, but she heard something in his voice. She heard his heart. That's the essence of love. That's the power of love. That after meeting him and knowing who he was, and even he read her mail and talked about her being married five times, and the one she was with now wasn't her husband, she ran back into town and told people, I've met the Messiah. He knew everything about me. These people that had rejected her, that made her go get the water in the, in the heat of the, of the late morning, she ran and told them. She wasn't even born again, and his love inspired her to go tell others about him. Why can't we do that? Oh, I do that every chance I get, every opportunity I get. I turn it back to the Lord. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to be interviewed and to be on the news, and somehow in the midst of that interview or my questions, I'm going to turn it back to the Lord. I'm going to turn it back to his love. How can I not? But see, when he loves you, he will correct you. When I hear a parent say that they don't ever chastise or correct their children because they love them, I realize they don't understand what love is. They don't understand the function of teaching our children the way in which they should go so that they don't depart from it when they get older. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. My son, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord. Do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines and corrects those whom he loves. Let me say that one again. Discipline and correction is tied to his love. And he punishes every son whom he receives and welcomes to his heart. You must submit to correction for the purpose of discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, if you are exempt from correction and without discipline, in which all of God's children share, then you are illegitimate children and not sons at all. Moreover, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we submitted, and we respected them for training us. Shall we not much more willingly submit to the Father of spirits and live by learning from his discipline? For our earthly fathers disciplined us only for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness." 
For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful, yet to those who have been trained by it. Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, which is right standing with God, and a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. There's a war right now in the Spirit, even as I'm speaking, to stop this kind of love. The enemy hates this kind of love, and therefore the world hates it. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you understand Hebrews 12, because he will correct you. He will chastise you, and when it's done, you'll understand it was done in love. But even though the world hates it, and the enemy doesn't want it, and pushes back and keeps you from doing it, here's what I want to give you a clue. Suggestion. Choose to love anyway. Again, you're not condoning their sin. You're not condoning their lifestyle. You're not condoning their choices. But you're choosing to love them and to pray for them and to pray for God to heal and deliver them. But you can't do it naturally. It's given and driven by the Holy Spirit. As I've started out on this journey about Solomon's porch, the porch which began in uh, Tallahassee, Tallahassee, Florida in 1993. And then I picked it back up here in Orlando in January of 2000. It's always been about the Holy Spirit. It's always been about regaining that upper room experience. It's always been about regaining what I call the world shaking influence of the early church. That influence wasn't political, although it did affect politics. It wasn't societal, although it did change people in society and at times change society. It was about people, and it was about love. Romans 8, starting verse 26, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Told you the story about knowing people were interceding for me when I was demonically possessed, when I I was... Uh, there there was a fight on for my soul, for me to get back to my family. And even after I got saved, I know that I know that I know that the Lord woke people up in the middle of the night to pray for me, whether they knew me or not. And they would begin to groan with the emotion and the power and the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Don't get so caught up in the world and the injustices of the world. Don't get so caught up in the things going on out there that you forget that that is supposed to inspire you to pray. And it should inspire you to these groanings. There are things going on in the world right now that are destroying families, that are destroying our children, that are destroying lives and lives. There are things that the enemy is doing through those power brokers in the world to destroy humanity and to conform it to their image, to conform it to Satan's image. That should inspire you to groan. That should inspire you to pray. And these groanings are the spirits. They're not ours. We don't know how to pray. The spirit does. And he'll tell you what to say. And if you don't He'll do it in a language you've never spoken before or in what I call my heavenly language. He's pleading. He's offering a pleading to the throne. And the kind of love that comes out of you when these groans for someone else or something else, unequivocally, it's not selfish and it's not self-centered. It'll give you a feeling like you have never felt before. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. And yeah, I know they call it the love chapter, and it gets read at weddings and all these events, but I don't think that the love in that chapter is about human love. 
I think the love that Paul's talking about to the church in Corinth is the love of God. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's not human love. That's Holy Spirit love. That's King of Kings, Lord of Lords, I'm going to die on the cross for you, love. That's I've spoken everything into existence, but I'm not going to live without you being reconciled to your Heavenly Father, love. Which is why the Lord sent back the Holy Spirit, because he knew that in our natural human flesh suits, our casing, this jar that contains his glory can't do it. I have been at times in my walk where not only couldn't I do it, I didn't want to do it. Somebody had wronged me or wronged my family or done something to someone I loved. And my street nature came out, my old Richard nature, my Italian nature. I didn't want to love them. I didn't want to pray for them. But the spirit inside of me, his spirit, was able to get me to do it. And over the years, I'm quicker to do it. And now, it's a reflex. The Lord told the disciples, and he speaks to us, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage I go away. For I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you, to be in close fellowship with you, to abide with you, to stay with you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about the guilt of sin and the need for his Savior. Been there, done that, knelt at the altar, got the shirt and about righteousness, and about judgment, and about sin, and the true nature of it, because they do not believe in me and my message, about righteousness, personal integrity, and godly character. Oh boy, could we use some of that right now in the church. Because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me, about judgment, the certainty of it, because the ruler of this world, Hasatan, Satan, the adversary, has been judged and condemned. He is beyond redemption. He is eternally reprobate. But I will do everything in my power to destroy his efforts, to stop his works, and to keep him from taking others with him. Because I know how much the Father loves him. But Paul, throughout his writings, and even James and Peter and John, they make a case for the reality of a war against love. I am convinced, Paul says, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. It's in Romans 8. You look up the scripture. It is the vital ingredient for his church. And he will not allow it any way for it to be removed. And he's, he's created it in such a way. Remember he said, the Holy Spirit will abide with you, take fellowship with you. He will be intertwined with you. So it can't be taken from you. So the enemy has to trick us into giving it up. The enemy has to trick us into not activating it. The enemy has to trick us through our old nature and through the ways of the world to not activate the love. 
What an awful creation he is. What an absolutely awful, awful creation. But God made a way for us where there would seem to be no way. We'd have no chance against him. We'd have no chance against the darkness. But he gave us hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, it's not just about the gifts that many dead churches and dead denominations don't want you to believe that the Spirit comes anymore or gives gifts anymore or does anything that the book of Acts Church did anymore. Satan's afraid of that, no doubt about it. The fallen are afraid of that. They don't want an empowered church out there messing up their stuff. And by the way, I don't care what they want. I'm going to do it every chance I get. What they don't want is this kind of love. Matter of fact, many of the teachers who tell you that the gifts died with the last apostle when John died are very stern-looking people. They look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. I don't see a whole lot of love in their eyes. I see a lot of law. I see a lot of judgment. When they talk about people like me, who speaks in tongues and casts out demons and does lays hands and miracles happen, oh, no, no, I'm their, their faces change. Their eyes, they contort, they get very angry. That's, that's, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us on the day of Pentecost. And that's what drove the book of Acts Church. But th- this is where I want to tie this part of the message up. That kind of love comes with a price. It comes with a responsibility. First of all, Yeshua had to die for it. Paul, we were still sinners because of his love. His heart was drained so that ours could be filled. And when we lose that love, we're useless to him. And we're in danger of being corrupted. And we're in danger of divine correction. Go with me to Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I have this charge against you, says the Lord to the church in Ephesus, that you have left your first love. You have lost the depth of the love that you first had for me. Remember the church in Ephesus, which, by the way, is, is Turkey now, but the church in Ephesus was an unloving, orthodox church that we've seen in Acts 19 and Acts 20 and Paul talk about. And according to tra- tradition, John the Revelator, John the Apostle, he lived there before and after his imprisonment. So he's chastising his own fellow believers. The spiritual vitality that sprung up from the love for the Lord had degenerated into orthodox routine. It had degenerated into religion. It was no longer about the Lord or their love for Him. It's about form and ritual. <coughs> Excuse me. About programs. It's about things that have nothing to do with love. Remember, Ephesus was a spiritual powerhouse that Paul taught. You know, we talk about Ephesians 6 and warfare and pulling down and all this other strongholds. They were inspired 
But by this point in the church's history, they had lost the power, and they'd lost the fire, and they'd lost the love. These were the people that Paul said that had once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2, 2. And then he reminded them in Ephesians six twelve, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And now John is telling them, you've forgotten all that. You've lost the love. You don't love him like you used to. And you don't love one another. The New King James Version Worst Study Bible says the believers at Ephesus were a suffering people who patiently bore their burdens, bore their burdens, go ahead, you say that quickly, and toiled without fainting. And they did all of this for Messiah. And no matter how we examine this congregation, we have to conclude that it was just about perfect. Except the one among the lampstands saw into their hearts And he had a different diagnosis. This busy, separated, sacrificial church really suffered from heart trouble. They had abandoned their first love. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, let's go back to the love chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. None of that matters. And the Lord says to anyone like that, Ephesus, Corinth, or whoever, I have this against you. Haley's Bible Handbook says this chapter is the premier teaching of Christianity. It is the undying expression of Yeshua's doctrine of heavenly love. This chapter is more potent for the building of the church than any or all of the various manifestations of God's power. Love is the church's most effective weapon. Love is the essence of God's nature. Love is the perfection of human character. Love is the most powerful, ultimate force in the universe. And without love, all the various gifts of the Spirit are of no avail. And I'll add, they don't work properly. Paul said, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing self-sacrifice, all these external acts that even the Pharisees did and the Sadducees did so that they could be seen. Whether I speak in, in the language of men or the language of angels, whether I prophesy or have all this knowledge and faith, mountain-moving faith, and I give my last dollar to a charity, even to the point of being martyred, but if I don't have love, then something's wrong. And I should answer the call to self-examination. The church right now, 2022, needs to answer this question. Why do you do what you do? When this happens, when we get to the point that what we're doing, we're not doing in love, get ready, because divine chastisement is coming. It must come or the church becomes a dead, ineffective entity. It's an organism that is dead. It is wind that no longer moves. It is water that is stagnant, has begun to smell. It saves no one. It heals no one. It loves no one. I've been in churches like that. I've been around believers like that. I know I've shared this, but I remember after getting to Tallahassee and um, spending most of my time at the church with Pastor Shelley and doing all the things I did, and 
lot of people didn't like it, that this guy that used to be demon-possessed that had walked down in his family is suddenly, suddenly moving in gifts and power. He's the head of a huge ministry of this big church. And um, I took a lot of verbal abuse. I took a lot of accusations. I took a lot of recriminations. And I remember one day walking into Shelley's office. And he looked, looked at me and he goes, what happened? I told him what someone had just said about me. And I said, you know what, Shelly, I knew, I knew I'd be treated like this in the world. I just didn't think I'd be treated like this in the church. And he smiled because he understood. When we lose the love for him, for each other, for eternity, for the calling, for the lost, for the dying... We're nowhere near him, and we're nothing like him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. When that happens, correction is coming. Revelation 3.19 to the church at Laodicea, to the lukewarm church, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the Father, the Son in whom he delights. Love inspires correction. Correction comes instead of rejection. But if you get to watch this video when I catch up and I post it, You're going to see I'm looking straight at you. And by you, you'll know who I mean. Chastisement is coming. Correction is coming. You've offered no mercy. You've offered no grace. You've offered no love. You've wounded more than you've healed. And he's about to correct that. You will learn love through chastisement and correction. You will become usable and functional for him when he's done. Get ready. God's gifts come with a responsibility on how we use them. They're so special. They're so valuable. They come from heaven, by the way. They come from him through his Holy Spirit. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. The love I'm talking about is a choice. You make it. You desire it. He helps you to make it. And the Spirit helps you desire it. And then through the Spirit, He helps make it happen. So really, all you have to do is open your heart. Let your love be sincere, the real thing, without guile and hypocrisy. Don't love like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was fake. And when he says hate what is evil, detest ungodliness and don't tolerate wickedness. 
Stop thinking about the way this world, think about things the way this world thinks. Stop falling for the tricks of this world. We got to be patient. We got to be devoted to prayer. We got to take care of one another. We have to be love in action. That's how the world knows who we are. Which is why, and I'm going to close out here, Matthew 24. Hope I don't run out of time. Maybe I'll just go over. There's a battle. For this kind of love in the end, when Matthew 24, and they're on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples want to know what be the sign of your coming and the end of the age, he says, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. Just turn on YouTube, you see most of them. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of the sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom, which is the gospel of love, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So the final phase of the signs of the times is lawlessness, no love for God or the things of God, and no love for one another. And it's preceded by false prophets leading the people astray away from their first love. Lawlessness, which is sin, hardens your heart, turns your focus from outward to inward, and makes you selfish, self-centered, and useless to him. This is my commandment, love one another as I have loved you. That's what the Lord says. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father. And we've been talking about his will. Many are going to show up in that day and say, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If I have not love, if I have the tongues of angels, if I prophesy, if I do all these things, but I have not love, I am useless. I am a loud stage actor, just making a lot of noise, clanging a cymbal. And because of that, because of where we are right now, the love of many will grow cold. I know I'll never hear this, but I hope you never do. Hear the Lord say, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. It's the love within the community of Yeshua's disciples. If it diminishes to the point of extinction, and this community ceases to be what God designed it to be, we're done. So, Father, I come to you now in the name of Yeshua. I come in your love. And for everyone that has heard this, I pray, Lord, that you have bathed them in that love, that they understand how much you love them, that they feel that love that was in your heart as you hung on the cross and you shed every drop of blood, that you emptied their heart so your heart so their, theirs could be filled. And I pray that they would desire that love for each other, for you, for the world, the sick and the dying, the lost. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would take everything that's been said and create a love, fire, an inspiration, a connection between us as families so that when we pray for one another, those groanings come out, that we shake this world one last time before you return the way they did, being an example of you, a living fire-breathing organism of heavenly love, the love that caused the Father to send you and the love that allowed you to do what you did and that you still feel for us. And I pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, which is a look of love, by the way, and give you peace, give you shalom. 
I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.